Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Well, welcome back to the One Voice Podcast. This is a safe space for conversation on things like healing and just the things that are going on in the world that matter to you, especially survivors and those who love us. So thanks, Mary, for being here as always. Hold on. I was getting coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Typical. Well, we're excited. We have a guest with us today, Chris McKenna from an organization called Protect Young Eyes. Thanks for being with us, Chris. Yeah. Hi, Nicole. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, this will be a great conversation. I'm excited to just learn more about you, um, about Protect Young Eyes and all the great work that you're doing for families and protecting children, especially online. And, um, And also just to kind of give some information to survivors. I mean, so many of us are parents and trying to navigate the world as a survivor with children that we want to protect because we know how bad the world can be. It's just really important. Um, And so I'm excited to have you with us today. And before we kind of get going, I do want to hear just kind of how you got into this, like what, where your passions came. I did want to share just a little bit of my passion. So obviously the reason like I speak and write about sexual abuse is coming from a survivor perspective, having gone through it. And for me, it's interesting just thinking about the work that you do, Chris. Um, you know, a lot of my abuse started because I was shown pornography as a little girl. Yeah. And when I was a little girl, there was no internet. <laughs> so the access was so much less. And thinking about the children today who are groomed by predators or, you know, abusers that are in their family or their neighbor or their coach or whoever it might be, the access to child sexual abuse material is so much greater. I mean, it's so easy. You can get it anywhere you want. And so I just think about, you know, the world that we live in, there's so, it's so important as parents to understand the importance of protection, but for me also conversations, and we'll get into that a little later. You know, I have three boys. I know you have kids, Mary has a son, so we'll get into that. But um, I just thank you for your work and for being a voice out there for four kids. Um, But Chris, yeah, go ahead. Just throw us into it. How did you find a passion for this? You know, did this start for you as a young child, like it did for me? Um, And a little bit about Protect Young Eyes. Sure. I'll I'll say the answer to your question, um, Nicole, is yes, it started. But this was never the way in which I expected my experience with an early childhood exposure to pornography to play out. So I'll call it... God's fun way in which he weaves our stories together. You know, I have a a position of faith. And so I've just watched some of that, but that was never my intent. So protect young eyes. I'll call it a a happy accident in that I was my professional um, path has been uh, in a number of different um, lanes here. So, you know, I started off in business. I was a consultant for Ernst and Young for 12 years, loved that job but then was called into working with students and was called into work with junior high ministry, which is nothing like being a mm-hmm. CPA, but right. that was what I was called to do. And what's important is the time frame in which that took place, Nicole, was from 2009 to 2016, which is the rise of portable internet. So sure. I watched junior high, which I love. Junior high is just such a fabulous, messy, and fragile time for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I would argue that it's more difficult to be a middle schooler today than ever. And we can unpack that a little bit of what that means Mm -hmm. in raising them today when they're surrounded by more risk. But I have to remember that those previous 12 years of mine were through the lens of risk mitigation. My job, Nicole, was to go into Mm -hmm. large Fortune 500 companies and to identify where business risk existed and help them get rid of it and mitigate Mm -hmm. it and put controls in place and detections and reports and things that would help businesses avoid harm to the business. So Mm -hmm. now I'm watching something that to me carried with it the potential for great harm to children and not enough parents appreciating the risks that came with it. So now my consultant brain goes into full alert mode and Protect Young Eyes really came out of a closed Facebook group where I said, hey, parents, do you want to know what this new Snapchat app does? Let me tell you. 
right? If you can imagine a world when Snapchat was new, because that was mm-hmm. the world that I was navigating at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was simply doing research. I would drop a PDF into this closed Facebook group once a quarter, whatever new app was coming out, Kick and Instagram and all these things that are flying out of the app store that people just didn't really understand, but yet they seemed innocent. It's just pictures. Let's give it to our kids. And so I just, mm-hmm. I wanted to educate. It was out of, out of a spirit of care for families. Um, for whatever reason, I just, I have a ridiculous amount of energy directed towards the care of families. It's just the mm-hmm. way I've I'm put together. I came from a large family. I have, as you know, four children of my own right now who are ages, just for context for people listening or watching. Uh, my daughter is now 18. And then I have three sons who are 13, 13, and 11. Okay. So I'm in fifth, sixth, seventh, and 12th grade right now in, in parenthood. Just a mm-hmm. nice, fun, crazy time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But protecting eyes really then just grew out of this spirit of, wow. I want to bridge that gap between amazing parents who truly do care about their children. And what I saw were technologies that do not, and they still, seven years later, do not care about the safety and protection of our children Mm -hmm. and wanted to stand in that gap. And that led to schools and churches and nonprofits saying, okay, tell us more. And that led to a team of presenters, which we kind of lived through the, the COVID downturn, but now we're back to full strength of six of us doing talks all over the country, all over the world, and really want to just spread that message of awareness. Yes, let's talk about the risks, but we specialize in the practical. Mm -hmm. I'm not an IT guy. What you didn't hear in my sort of history of either degrees or education or Mm -hmm. uh, experience is that I'm not an IT guy. Mm -hmm. But I believe that many of us, regardless of your digital IQ, and I want all the moms you know, anybody, grandparents listening to this to know that I believe every single person does have digital parenting, digital grandparenting superpowers. You just simply need a little help in unleashing them. And that's where we specialize mm-hmm. is in the practical tips. You've, you know, you follow us on social media. You see me all the time, just dropping practical tips and ideas. Try this, say this and increasing that confidence so that we can be prepared instead of scared when it comes to things that we're just not comfortable with. Our, Parent human nature is to fear what we don't know. I get that, especially as parents, because we Mm -hmm. ferociously protect our littles. Mm -hmm. I want to speak confidence and truth and hope and encouragement into those places. So a little bit of history. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's wonderful. I think um, for me as a parent, the the biggest thing, the most important thing, the vital piece of parenting within the digital age is talking to kids, is um, the conversations that we have, you know, around the kitchen island on our drives to practice, you know, what have you seen and, and you know, do you feel safe and you know that you can always come to me and what are the words you're hearing, you know, on the playground or and have you seen anything that felt yucky to you, you know, just having those conversations has been so important um, and just empowering them to know that like normalizing words, I think has been helpful. Um, And then also that they always have a safe place to come to, to not be ashamed of the things that they're learning or seeing. Um, But what other kinds of practical tips that you mentioned, you know, would you kind of add into that? And do you think that that should be one of the best tools Sure. And I want to recognize right out of the gate that when it comes to a survivor parent who is also trying to navigate the complexities of the digital age and some of the fear and apprehension that comes with it, I think that you are automatically in a position of greater challenge. And that's not because of anything inadequate about you Mm -hmm. as a survivor. It's just that when our own childhood trauma Mm -hmm. is even if mostly healed, is still a scar that is present in our lives. It shapes and colors the way that we parent. Sure. That's that's inevitable, right? Yeah. Body right. keeps a score of all things. And so mm-hmm. we carry that into our parenting. And so something that might be helpful to your audience, I just want to kind of offer right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, because I can share a lot of tips and, and, and practical ideas, and there will be some that will have to absorb those and apply them in their own context. Mm-hmm. There isn't a one size fits all. So I want to recognize that right away, that the form in which I share things may not be the exact shape that it needs to play out in your specific situation, mom or listener or caregiver, mm-hmm. but listen for the principle. Like what's the principle we're trying to communicate and then adjust it for what works best 
for you. I had um, a couple of years ago, and I'll share this so you can share it with your audience. I had a woman who was sexually abused as a young girl write specifically for us at Protect Young Eyes. And the title of it is, When Your Own Childhood Trauma Causes Overprotective Digital Parenting. Mm -hmm. Because I think that can be the tendency. And Cindy, uh, fabulous uh, woman doing now um, trauma work with teens and, and youth um, down in, in her home state. She kind of walks through these steps that she has gone through in order to try to push back against some of that history, that baggage, yeah. which has caused her to sometimes not parent the way she wants to. So I, I just want to put that out there as sort of a lens. Now appreciate I'll answer uh, now, now I'll actually answer your question. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate um, that though, because I do think that there's a, a sensitivity there. And with many things that come with the healing journey, there's extremes. And so, right. you know, there might be just like a total hands-off approach and then there might be a complete controlling approach. And where is the happy medium? And to honor our own journeys in that process, knowing what's triggering and what's not and where we can get some insight and help along the way. So thanks, Chris, for just acknowledging that part of it. Yeah, I think this statement here, you know, really will resonate with those who might be listening. Um, Cindy started off, she said, step one is healing, which obviously it is, but she put it in context of digital parenting. She said, if you truly want your child to grow up with a trauma-free or trauma-less, you know, fewer trauma life, you must first heal the trauma that exists within you. Because what she realized was whenever I wasn't willing to heal, I was passing on to my child to have to heal for me, right? So I, for sure. these are yeah. things that can really shape the way that we parent by saying no, 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 no to everything. And at the same time, not giving them any tools for all the digital doorways that they actually do have access to that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. And we've actually put our kids in a riskier situation through our intent to mitigate risk, right? That's the that's the sort of um, inverse relationship there around some of those some of those decisions. What I'll share is what we've discovered, um, Nicole, over the past seven years and over fifteen hundred presentation is presentations is that there are certain things that most families who have young people who learn how to use technology in a good and positive way tend to do frequently and you know, consistently, as I say, if they're not rolling their eyes at you yet, your children, then you're not saying it and doing it enough. <laughs> I want them finishing our sentences. I want them going, oh yeah, I've heard that. Good. Yeah. Just want right. to make sure you hear it <laughs> one more time because the algorithm's coming at you 24 seven. I want to come at you 25 seven, right? But you know, that's, yes. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. mindset there. Yesterday in the car, I was asking all three of my boys, have you seen anything like inappropriate lately online? And if you did, what did you do? And they're all just like, are you kidding me? We've talked about this, mom. I'm like, I know, but it's been yeah. a little bit, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's good. That's good to hear that. But it's Tuesday, boys. This is Tuesday. That, I, right. I said on Wednesday, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, the things that we have found fall into five general categories uh, of activities inside of a family. And we've put these into a framework because that's my consultant brain. It's the digital trust framework that we use at Protect Young Eyes. And it's reminding me, I haven't, I haven't posted about it on social media in a while. So I probably need to. I have a story highlight that if people follow us, they would see. But these five phrases are copy me, co-play, curiosity, conversation, and coaching. Now- it's a mouthful. Okay. Break it they down. All start with C. They all start with C at least. So we can, you know, we can, we can do it that way. And so I'd be happy to just give a sentence that unpacks that. each of those, if that's Absolutely. all right. Absolutely. Please. Um, yes. And so copy me, uh, we start in a very intentional order with us, right? These are sequenced very intentionally. It starts with us, our own mm. digital behaviors. Would we want our sons and daughters using their technology just like we do? Where we use it, how we use it, what we use it for. I think there are little practical things we can do to exhibit evidences of copy me. One of those is post with permission, PWP. Do I ask my children before I post photos of them whether I have their consent to do so? I want kids to learn from a very young age that consent is important, but yes. then also digital digital items are mm -hmm. also things to be handled with care. 
That's so you don't disappear. Oh, I wish like more a, parents thought about that. Right? Oh, because you know that kids don't want to be posting all there's exactly. pictures all the time. Exactly. Mm. Especially for your audience, which appreciates the the, right. the the idea of consent and what yes. that the power of digital evidence and what it can do to radically change somebody's entire life because it's yeah. not a Polaroid. It's not a you know, a roll of film that you can just burn and get rid of like a Gen Xer like me remembers, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's one idea. Another one is you announce your intentions. If you're going to be with your children and have to use technology in their presence, tell them what you're doing and when you'll be done. There's mm-hmm. an accountability there. Hey, I got to I gotta respond to these text messages. You probably heard my phone dinging, but you're more important. I'll get right back to you. I and like that. Just, again, let them know one, where they are and the significance. And I think it's also a, an accountability for us to then actually put it down mm-hmm. because how long can you just scroll otherwise, right? There's right. red bubbles and five other apps that I want to check. And, well, so, and yeah. one more email. Oh, I can just get one more email, one, one more, more, oh, yeah. and a grocery list. And then it just, yeah. five hours later, here we are. <laughs> so these are just, you know, these are again, some of the practical things because just to say, copy me. Okay. Well, Chris, how do I do it? And these are some of the things we love to share with parents around the doing co-play the next part of digital trust is mm-hmm. what it says. I want to identify as many shoulder-to-shoulder digital encounters with my kids as possible. From a very young age, I want my kids to know that technology is a we activity and not just a me activity. Because whether you're 4, 14, or 40, one-on-one with what I would say are insanely intelligent technologies that are intentionally crafted to hook into my neurology whether you are 4, 14, or 40, one-on-one, you will eventually lose that battle. Yeah. And I want our kids to be comfortable sitting. That's why I have a, a you know, people will be listening to this and maybe watching it, but I, I intentionally have a couch in my office because my kids get home from school. If they want to get online and if they can be in here with me, great. I want them with me. It also helps them overhear a lot of intense conversations about things I want them to hear because of my job, which is great. It's a two for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, those are... Those are a couple of the ways and people can read more, you know, about them, but that digital trust um, framework, I think we do those five things and curiosity, just being our parenting posture, not always condemning, but curious. Mm -hmm. We have to remember through a lens of empathy that if these technologies existed when we were young, we would do the exact same things they're doing. Sure. Yep. And for us to, in judgment, now, Do we need to hand consequences to our children when they make bad choices? Yes, because I'd be a horrible parent if I didn't. But I think there's a way for a child to receive a consequence without them feeling shame that they are the problem. And I think sometimes our our tone and our attitude with technology is more of negativity, consequence, and yelling and, and, and really without saying anything, communicating to them that we would have never done that. (laughs) <laughs> and I just don't believe that for a second. No, of course not. Not for a second. It's just that the technologies that we had were not crafted for my attention. Right. And for right. my addiction and other, other, and I'm careful with that term. I know that, you know, medically, none of what we're talking about has been classified as an addiction. I can tell you as a man who was um, caught up in a compulsive use of pornography, it exhibits all the signs of addiction and I'll, stand on that hill as long as I can. And it does even in our young people. And so we have to be careful not to treat them differently because we would have looked and scrolled and mm-hmm. watched as much as they would have. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. And they're just consuming so much bad news. They never would have before, or, you know, the online bullying, it's just the stuff, you know, it never would have happened pre-internet. And they're facing so much mental health issues because of it. So I think the empathy is a huge part of parenting at this point. And would you agree just the empathy makes for safe space for them to come to us when there's a problem versus once there's a huge problem and there's almost no way out? That's right. And we have to overcome the little nagging lying voice that we all carry with us. So one of the things that we say in our lane of keep it practical is practice, 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 right? Practice, practice, practice. 
So in that fourth part of digital trust, which is conversations, the last one is then coaching, right? So we have copy me, co-play, curiosity, which I explained, conversations, which we could talk about a little bit more as it pertains to how do you talk about pornography? How do you talk about predators? Yeah. But the last one is coaching. And to me, coaching is the action part of conversations because a coach just doesn't sit on the sideline, at least good coaches, don't just sit on the sideline and go, well, dribble better, shoot better, pass better. Mm-hmm. Like the coaches that are magnetic with their players are the ones out there shooting better, passing better and showing them how, show them how to do it. Mm-hmm. You depend on that expertise. And I want parents to do the same thing. So it's one thing to say to a kid, hey, if you ever see anything that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to put it down and tell me, mm-hmm. okay? That's great. And I want parents to say that, but I can tell you with certainty because I've been around so many young people that when it happens, those words won't seem like the right thing to do because immediately they'll wonder, well, can I say something right now? Dad looks busy. I don't want to get in trouble. Should I do something? And it gives room for that little voice to go, no, you should probably wait. No, you'll get in trouble if you tell dad that. And so we overcome that because, you know, certainly up until adolescence, young brains depend on the tangible. They don't think abstractly yet. So just to say here through words, here's what I want you to do. I think that's a little bit effective, but when it comes up against pornography, which is a super normal stimulus or other polls online, I want them to have practiced what you told them to do. So like literally, if you say to your son or daughter, hey, if I'm the Chromebook, even while doing homework, you ever bump into something because, you know, the common sense media report that just came out three weeks ago says that, you know, 40 some percent of kids see porn on school issued devices, right? You say to them, hey, I I want you to put it down and tell someone And here's what we're going to do. I want you to sit at the kitchen counter. I'm going to put your Chromebook on the counter in front of you. I'm going to walk out the garage door. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to back out the driveway. And I'm going to pull back in. I'm going to walk in the door. And I want you to physically put the computer screen down and say, Mom, I saw something that really bothers me. I saw pornography. Because I want them to know tangibly with practice what that looks like. So that they know that there's never a bad time, never in trouble. And to say those things to a kid doesn't mean 90% as much as it does to do those things with a kid. They really need to see it in action. Because I think that's the sort of stuff that sticks in their brains, as opposed to just saying, do this if it happens. this talk with Chris is bringing up a couple of really good points. Two of them I want to just highlight real quick before we get back to our interview. One, navigating this digital world with our children as survivors of abuse is tough. And first and foremost, healing is important. So we have to be on our own healing journey in order to fully equip and fully protect our own kids. And for that, you know we've created our online community, Unleash. It's that eight-week e-course that we talk about all the time because it's so amazing. So please, if you haven't yet, sign up to join us. We're currently running three groups right now, two for women and one for men, and they have been so wonderful. And so many of them are parents too, navigating this world with their kids at the same time working on their own healing journey. But we do it together and that's what matters. And people are finding so much freedom, so much hope and coming alive in these groups. And I just want you all to be able to participate. So you can find out more information for our next group that launches in the spring. It is at imonevoice.org slash unleash. The other point I wanted to mention is that once you've gone through an Unleash course, just one time, just one eight week course, you are now an alumni. And in 2023, we are launching a quarterly masterclass. So for those who've already gone through the course, you are now invited to join us for an evening together. It'll be a one night session. Our next one is on parenting, parenting as a survivor of sexual abuse. So if you are an Unleashed alumni, please join us this spring for our next masterclass and stay tuned at our website, IamOneVoice.org, IamOneVoice.org. And going backward to that fourth point, the conversations. I mean, that 
I think it's just a, so much of our parenting really needs to be putting our phones down and having conversations with our kids, right? Eye to eye and talking about the hard things. It's because we live in a world of information that is radically different than the world that I grew up in. So one of the illustrations that I use with families is that, you know, we all go through different stages of figuring out ourself, right? Um, human development um, experts would say we go through four different phases, uh, first with our body, then our emotions, then our language, and then our identity of asking questions of my purpose and who I need to be and who do I want to be. Now, when I was going through that, and when other parents, say, in their 40s were going through that that phase back in the 1980s or early 90s, what was speaking answers into those big questions were very few places, right? We had family, we had friends, we had neighbors, we were a lot tighter in our community, maybe church. There was news, but it was through fewer channels, and it was through fewer voices, Mm -hmm. right? Think of the nightly news or the newspaper, okay? In other words, I was asking all the same questions that a 15-year-old is asking in 2023. It's just mm -hmm. that I only had a limited number of mirrors that were reflecting answers back to me. Mm -hmm. And many of those mirrors actually cared about me. And although imperfect, they did a better job than just the general public of trying to speak truth and love and purpose into my life. And you compare that to what we have today, Nicole, and we have 10,000 mirrors speaking 10,000 different answers from people who could care less about the teenager that is scrolling past whatever influencer on TikTok or Instagram receiving those answers. Mm -hmm. And we're wondering why they're so confused. We're wondering why they don't know who they are, their identity, their gender, whatever it might be. The digital world was intended to create a free flow of information. And that's exactly what it's doing to the wrong kids at the wrong, no, to the wrong age at the wrong time, mm -hmm. right? It's one thing for us to absorb that information and to handle it. And I would argue that many of us as adults don't even handle that flow yeah. of that crafted information well, because we tend mm -hmm. to sit in echo chambers with a lot of people who agree with us, which only heightens our extreme thinking and only, mm -hmm. you know, puts us down paths of we're all in the, you know, anyway, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. So um, I think young people are, are ultimately suffering from that. What I'm saying in a really long winded way on the whole path of conversations is mm -hmm. if we don't speak to them frequently about all of the things that nobody talked to us about, you know, probably when we were growing up, Mm -hmm. then we will allow digital spaces to be their truth. That's right. We will allow Dr. TikTok and Dr. Google and Dr. YouTube to be their mm -hmm. source of truth. Yeah. Is there some truth in those places? Yes. But do even amazingly intelligent adults struggle to know where it is? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I do not want my children learning about their version of self from right. digital spaces. Yeah. Or sex, correct? None of it. None yeah. of it, right? Yeah, that's so Anything good. that we were, and you know, again, I come from a position of faith. I just don't believe that anything that we were designed to know relationally, whether it's um, a friendship or my family, right? We were we were crafted for human to human relationship. Our brain fires differently mm -hmm. in the presence of human beings when I'm mm -hmm. physically with them. Right. There's nothing that can happen on FaceTime. There's nothing that could happen through this Zoom call that would compare to a six second hug from a caring person in my life, mm -hmm. right? In terms of what it does to heal me and to make me feel wanted and loved and connected. And so digital spaces are a surrogate, but they're never a replacement for that sort of rich connection that I think all of us, young and old, mm -hmm. so desperately need to be better, whole, more complete versions of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of touches on another point that's important to me as far as children who have that longing, they all do, right? But for those who maybe aren't getting it at home or, yeah. you know, that's just ripe for predators online to be grooming through direct messages or, right. you know, whatever it can be. Predators will exploit every single app that there is and 
try to talk to kids and but and try to get them to send pictures or meet them or whatever it is. And I think a lot of parents are afraid of that as they should be, but also, you know, putting in the right um, safeguards is one. Um, But also talking to them about that too. Do you kind of go down that road as well? I think, you know, just talking to kids about, you know, if someone contacts you online and because Man, I mean, we've had so many. I've been working with some people in the FBI. We've worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And even just the young men who, you know, they're exploited through social media and, you know, they're groomed into sending a picture and then immediately blackmailed. They thought it was this hot chick and it surely wasn't. And blackmailed. And within minutes, there was just one young man from our own city that took his life within, I think it was like 30 minutes. I know. Just a wonderful young man. And it, yeah. Right. That's right. I remember that one. And so those are the other, that's the other side of it. Like, yes, you know, let's protect them from seeing pornography, but also let's protect them and empower them to understand um, when, when others are trying to exploit them. Right. Definitely. And this is what makes it so complex is that I think that the majority of young people, and I'll use high schoolers, for example, I think the majority of high schoolers use technology in good and positive ways. And I think it's sometimes easy, given the worlds that, Nicole, you and I work in, I'll be with Nick Mick on Monday, you know, right? We were in oh, those good. worlds where it's horrible. And we yes. have to because um, we, we, we want to prevent as much of that harm as possible, mm-hmm. but I do want us to remember that most kids want to make good choices online. Yeah. And so, um, empowering them is so important because we really have three sort of main categories of young people. We have young people who we put them in digital spaces and they do fine. We have young people who we put them in digital spaces and because of what they don't get in the real world, the digital space actually does provide a bit of a relief to them because they can find other young people who are experiencing whatever it is they're experiencing. And sure. I don't want to discount that because no, not at all. sometimes the real world is horrible. I do presentations here um, through our Department of Health and Human Services for both adoptive and foster care families. And there's a lot of complexity there. If you're a child who for the first 14 years of your life real human beings have been horrible to you, then mm-hmm. some of the only relief and safety and just I can be myself I have is in digital spaces. Right. Yeah. And that's a real issue that I I, I want to be empathetic towards. Yeah. And there are some that that is, that is beneficial. Then there's a flavor, a, 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 a sliver of even that kind of child where because of their vulnerabilities mm-hmm. of what they weren't given in the real world, they do become more susceptible to those kinds of harms, that enticement of somebody making them feel loved through a DM or making them feel seen so they compromise something. That's typically what we think of. What you've just described is another, it's almost like a fourth scarier version of, not scarier because all the kids, I want to protect all the kiddos. I'm not trying to create layers of of importance here, but what you're talking about is more neurological than anything because- the current trends of financial sextortion, which is what you were just referring yeah. to, mm-hmm. what Nick Mick is seeing in 2022 data is 93% of them are teen boys. Yeah, It's not their traditional, you know, girl being compromised because of a nude photo and then send me more nudes. Mm-hmm. It's the boy who, because yeah. of an over responsive dopamine reward system that most teens have, believes that they'll get a little something in return for their something. That's right. And they don't know, they don't, none of them say no very well when they're teens. None of us did either. We just Mm -hmm. take risks and do things. Go run, jump fast. That's just, that's the mode of a teen. And so that's Mm. the, the real scary flavor of this sort of extortion today through technology Mm -hmm. is it's, and they're all amazing, but it's kids that you'd go, I would never have expected that the homecoming king football player from Marquette, Michigan, Mm -hmm. would have taken his life instead of the shame associated with his small community, knowing that he had sent a nude photo like that. That's the stuff that just blows your mind. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you were just referring to there. That is 
Yeah. You know, I say these things just to say, we don't know what kids will be affected in some way. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you're going to give your child access to digital spaces, your best defense is this multi-pronged approach of the conversations and the coaching and some of the software and being involved in all these kinds of things, because there's no one toggle that works for all kiddos. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. So, yeah, it is. And I appreciate just your knowledge and your sensitivity and care for that area. Yeah. I just think that there are so many different ways to look at the digital world and children. And yeah, so you have such great input and, and practical tools. And I know on your website, you even go even further into softwares and routers and all of that. So I will put that in our show notes. Um, I do think, and I wondered your thoughts on this. Um, I really like bark. Um, as a way of like monitoring without being so overly controlling and watching every move. Do you know what I mean? Like giving a little bit of independence. And I don't know if you may disagree with me on that, but I, you know, knowing how much I grew up and not wanting my parents watching my every single mile per hour on (laughs) my, you know what I mean? (laughs) Life 360, um, it's like, yes, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, and you know, you don't have to really comment on this if you don't want to, but I was interested in that. Okay. I'm interested because I really like bark to where it, it looks at the whole picture and it's pulling out tag words, which is similar to what, you know, some of our friends that are in safety at, you know, different large tech organizations do to protect us and the, and to go for the bad guys, you know, it's picking up flags and things like that and would let us know without being so incredibly invasive. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do. Do you agree? Do you think that's a good idea or yeah, are you yeah. with some, cause some of my friends are just like, they want to know everything. And I'm like, I just don't see your kids yeah. wanting to be friends with you as adults. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to lose them in the process, but yeah. I just wondered your thoughts. We all have our own ways and we all judge each other. I think I know, you know, a lot of, especially church folk, like we can judge each other's parenting and all of that. But yeah, I wondered what your thoughts were. Yeah, that's good. You know, and I'll start off by saying, I believe that the risks, so, you know, all parents have a right to be involved in the lives of their children. I, I, I want to be involved. I, I don't want institutions and other places like micromanaging how I parent my children. So I'll just put yeah. that out front just so people kind of know where I'm at on that kind of stuff. Um, I also believe that the risks to childhood that exist today are greater than many of the risks that existed back in the 1980s when I was growing up. Therefore, it would be natural for parents to not only want, but maybe have a bit of a right to be slightly more involved than my parents were. If we're trying to keep the risk to childhood in a managed spot, okay? Higher Mm -hmm. risk, I think warrants a little bit higher involvement. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I am okay and fully supportive. I'm very good friends with Bark. I've known Titani and Brian and the leadership team over there for years and um, hang out with them and made a movie with them. I mean, they're great human beings. and I fully support, uh, you know, their their service. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is, it works best when there is a family culture that has made it clear why it's being used and that it's being used, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we say as a part of digital trust is no spying. Don't spy on your children. Okay. That's and that's sometimes misinterpreted yeah. to, well, Chris, are you telling me I can't check their phone? I'm like, no, I didn't say that. Yeah. So don't spy on them. Mm-hmm. Spying doesn't teach your children anything. And when they discover you are, all you're going to do is chase them into all the places that you don't want them to go because they're little digital ninjas and they win mm-hmm. every yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So instead, from a very young age, this is why digital one of the most ninjas. important- I, Digital ninjas. I they like are. It. You know it, right? It's true. It is. It's funny. I've never heard that though. <laughs> and I, I look at my kid, mean, and I think that's, you know, important. I'm, I'm kind of dropping a bunch of random things here, but one of the most important principles that we share within the digital trust framework is the idea of co-ownership. In fact, if someone follows us on Instagram, it's our first pinned post in our profile. So you can find it there. And that is from a very young age, from the moment they pick up something connected to the internet, I want them to know it's not theirs. Mm-hmm. 
Every internet connected device is co-owned by this guy. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. I don't care. I love dad. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And I want yeah. them to know that very young. And if that's an idea that's been planted at age five, then I think when they get to age 15, they go, oh, yeah, it's annoying, but that's just the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. And whatever they're using has always had monitoring software on it so that when you move from whatever to Bark or if you start with Bark Jr. and then move to the Bark monitoring for social media, it's just that's the way it's always been. And then saying to a teen who has what we want a little more say, I want to give teens agency and say and ownership in crafting some of their digital world because lord willing they're going to move out of the house and have to be on their own at some point right right? exactly yeah and so it's just being open with them and saying all right listen i know you don't like bark to be honest i don't like being your digital police officer can i be straight with you about that Mm -hmm. so here's the deal i love that you have been trusting and made good choices i don't want to check I don't want to get notifications. I don't want to pick up your phone. I will if I have to, but honestly, amazing son or daughter of mine, I really don't want to. Mm -hmm. So make good choices. I'll check in from time to time. You know how I feel about stuff. You know, you'll never be in trouble if you say something. You know that I'm going to be a little bit involved because what kind of father wouldn't when I hand you something that lets a hundred million people into your life? I'd be a horrible dad if I didn't at least ask you some questions or do things like, you know, me and Lauren and Andrea, we all share, Andrea's my wife, Lauren's my daughter. We all share the same six digit passcode on our iPhones. Mm. Why? It's just one of those little tidbits of I'm still involved. I don't check, but I could. Mm. And it's these sort of things like treat them like a slightly older child, right? Give them some agency, let them know you're still involved. But gosh, it's a whole lot easier if the past seven or eight years of their life has had all of those things a part of it already. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're not going to still roll their eyes at you or they're still not going to dislike it. They're a teenager. I hope they do. I mean, that's just that's just the way they are, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think if they know the why, they know honestly how you feel about stuff, you just are really straight with them. It's just that brutally honest and open conversations that I think build bridges of digital trust yeah. between our kiddos. Now, there's a whole separate conversation about what if they've already broken trust? How do you get back to it? I th- it's probably a whole nother yeah. podcast. That is but for sure. It yeah. is. But just in principle, I think those are some things to remember. If you drop Bark into the life of a 15-year-old, of course they're going to hate it. Right. Because the 15-year-old version of you would have said the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Imagine the 15-year-old version of you and your mom or dad walking up to you and going, you know what, honey? I've got a great idea for your life, your teen years. You know what it's called? Yeah. It's called parental control. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Isn't Let's that amazing? Go. Aren't you jazzed and excited uh, about more parental control in your teen <laughs> years? Said no teenager ever, right? <laughs> and so, I, again, when we put it in perspective and then you kind of go, and like say that to your kids, say, you know what? If my parents would have tried to drop bark into my life, I probably wouldn't have liked it either. But honey, we're going to use it. Here's why. It's because I love you. Tell me when you think it's getting annoying. I'll listen. I might not change, but I'll listen. Just be open and honest about that stuff. And I think it helps. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I just like the idea of like giving children agency as well. The check-ins are important versus just constant monitoring and spying. Like you said, there's no conversation there. And um, yeah, I think that's really, really good. It also, it, it, builds relationship versus, you know, forcing a little bit of a divide. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Telling them all the things that we're afraid of, not sure of, not good at, you know, (laughs) it's easy to see that as weakness, but I think it actually makes us look stronger in front of them and Mm -hmm. builds a bridge between us. For me to say, honey, I am just so afraid that somebody would hurt you on this device, Mm -hmm. right? And just say that to your kids. I think they love to just feel Mm -hmm. that care from us. I'm still going to give it to you, honey. I'm still going to give it to you. I just want you to know why I sometimes might not always say the right things with this. It's new to me. I just love you so much. I think those kinds of things I think are so helpful relationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And just the fact that that can make you emotional. You've said it so many times, but just shows your passion for this work, which we're just so grateful for. We're grateful for that you're doing it. 
um, that you're not sitting in a CPA's office, but you're really out there doing the work <laughs> to care for people. So thank you for that. I think the last thing that I wanted to kind of just talk about um, before we just honor your time here, but, um, you know, say they come to you. I've heard you say it before. Don't freak out. And I love that. Like, it's not this, like what I think most of my friends would do, you know, it's, it's so, it's so soft. Your, your answer to that. And I've heard you say it before. I just wish you would kind of just unpack that just for a couple of minutes with us, like what to do. Sure. Other than don't freak out. <laughs> well, most most of what you do in the moment will be dictated by what you've done before the moment. In the same way that we want our children to practice how to respond to certain really emotionally, in their case, traumatizing situations, because exposures to porn and predators when you're a young child is a trauma. It's an, you know, you hear therapists talk about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. It is a trauma. Therefore, we need to give them a ridiculous amount of training to know how to handle that because it just fires up so much of the body and the, and you know, the emotions in your brain. And the same is true for us. Mm. When our children have experienced harm, even if it was their fault and they did something to harm somebody else, if we haven't practiced, our natural first response will be wrong yeah. because it will be fueled by emotion and when you look at the different parts of the brain, right, we have, we're, our brain has three functional areas, the reptilian, the limbic, and the cortical part of our brain. So, so cortex is highest thinking, limbic is emotional, anxiety, longing, sexual, those sorts. And then there's the uh, reptilian, just regulatory, heart beating, keep us alive sort of part that we all have in common. But that limbic part of our brain neurologically fires multiple seconds faster than the thinking part of our brain. And they're very good, whether you believe in creation, evolution, reasons why for that. But in our parenting, it can bite us in the tail if we haven't practiced knowing in the thinking part of our brain how we would respond to that emotion before the emotion hits us. So I want us to practice, make a list of all of the horrible things that you hope never happen to your child or you hope your child never does mm. online. And then I want oh you to gosh. come up with an age appropriate way to talk about all of them, like in front of a mirror practice that your child or, you know, you have to like say it in the same way that you would practice for a presentation or a, a proposal or a sales meeting or something. I want us to practice these conversations in the same way that we say to our kids at protect young eyes. I want 10 before 10, 10 conversations about pornography before 10 years old. So that they're practiced in how to respond have we practiced and how we would respond if and when they came to us about whatever the topic might be again, whether they're at fault or not, mm. because the moment that they see your response that will dictate whether or not you truly were telling the truth. Are you a safe place for them mm -hmm. to land? Wow. Yeah. Our children are ridiculously intuitive yeah. at reading our yeah. reactions. And I, mm -hmm. I see this play out all the time in my my son Grant. So I, uh, my twins, believe it or not, I have fraternal twins and my son Grant has Down syndrome. One of my twins, the crazy pair. Wow. And his brother Cole, you know, I have to pry a little bit. How you feeling? How you doing? Right. Just because, you know, he's a 13 year old boy. See Grant, you know, one of the, the blessings and the curses of Down syndrome is there's no filter. However, Grant's feeling is exactly what he's <laughs> exhibiting. Yeah. I can tell immediately, like if he's had a bad day at school, which, you know, happens pretty often with that kid. He's a good guy, but you know what? School is just a mm. overstimulating place. At 13. Yeah. I have to be really careful because he tells me right away whether or not my reaction was one that tells him I'm safe or I'm not. Wow. And I can see it immediately in his eyes, in, in him, even in like his body and in, in, in like is dad willing, am I going to get in trouble or mm. is dad okay? And I, so he has trained me to be ultra careful in the facial expression, everything about my countenance when he's had a bad day, because in a millisecond for a kid who is supposedly disabled in a mm. millisecond, even with his level of emotional intelligence, he can tell whether or not I'm safe. 
Wow. It's crazy, Nicole. It's crazy. And it's caused me to then carry what I've learned from Grant's over exhibiting of his emotions and response to me, then to my other children to go, wow, how many things don't our kids tell us that we are doing, but they just don't ever tell us and we don't even realize it. Right. Mm. So that's what I would say. And I've never, as I'll tell you, even though you've heard me say it different ways, this Mm -hmm. is a brand new way for me to explain it because I'm learning so much about raising a teenager with a disability. He's teaching me. Mm. Yeah. So many yeah. things. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing. That's really cool. And you're right. They do. They read, they read our facial expressions, the way we're breathing. Oh, I mean, yeah. The breathing. <laughs> but to make it a safe space for them, no matter the mistake, gosh. And that's again the way to build the relationship and the trust. So Oh, this was so good, Chris. This was even better than I expected. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Good questions. I I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll um, link, of course, to your website and your Instagram, because I know that's a really powerful place for you to share some of your information. I also want to link to the human trafficking hotline. So if, you know, when we talked about just predators online and, and some of those DMs, like, you know. There's one way to just go ahead and go straight to the experts, and that is through the Human Trafficking Helpline. So we'll link to that as well. Um, Chris, thank you. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you're like, hello, this was really important? (laughs) Okay, good. Because goodness, yeah, that was a lot of really helpful information and also comes from a, a deep well of compassion. That's very obvious and evident. So thank you, Chris. And yeah, looking forward to just continuing to hear more about what you're doing. I know you're probably just got more ideas to launch something new. I just see you're just launching this and that all the time, which is what we need in this digital age. So thank you for that. You're welcome. My pleasure. And anybody who listens to this and still has questions, we exist. I, I respond to good DMs, <laughs> uh, you know, all week long emails, um, even in the way of kind of being personal consultants for families who are in deep trouble with something, right? We we want to okay. help in that way because it can be difficult to know the way out. So if anybody's listening to this and still mm-hmm. feels a sense of hopelessness, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And please reach out and we'll do our best to help. Mm-hmm. That's great. Glad to know you do exist. Thank you for that, Chris. All right. Until next time. We'll see ya. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked. Even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.